Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. morning. Hypocrisy. We don't have to work too hard to think of examples, whether it's politicians flouting COVID restrictions while ordering us to stay home, or preachers' private lives demonstrating spectacularly that they're preaching one thing and living another entirely. Or perhaps we could come slightly closer to home. We live in a culture that thrives on image. We're encouraged to post the best version of our lives on every social media app that is going. Don't worry if it's not true because you can fake it while you chase after the likes by people pretending to care. Hypocrisy is rife. It's even marketed. But in truth, we all recognise and despise it when we see it displayed so flagrantly. It leaves a bitter taste in our mouth, and we're disappointed and less willing to trust others. And so, with a brief pause to enjoy our own smugness, that was it, that one second, that this could never be us, we turn to today's passage, where Jesus blasts the hypocritical leaders of their day. Now, before we get into the specifics, let me do two things. Firstly, I want to place this passage in context. 
Jesus is halfway up a mountainside giving what we now call the Sermon on the Mount to a predominantly Jewish audience. This sermon expounds the true nature of the kingdom of God and what inhabitants of this kingdom look like. Starting with the Beatitudes, which we heard about last week, we now get a, a series of character qualities of the true kingdom people. Jesus then goes on to explain that God has called his kingdom people to stand out as salt and light to the world, to point to God and to Jesus as the true Messiah. Now, I also want to define hypocrisy so we're really clear. Hypocrisy is a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. The term hypocrite was used in ancient Greek plays, and one commentator, Sinclair Ferguson, explains, in the ancient dramas, an important part of the play was fulfilled by the chorus. We see this in operas and musicals. They provide a commentary on the action of the play. In fact, the hypocrites was the one who answered the chorus. So as well as wearing makeup, instead of changing characters, the, the actors simply put on a mask to express the character that they played. And that is a hypocrite. He is the one who answers the chorus of men and the one who wears a mask to cover the reality of his own heart. He pretends one thing when in reality he's something completely different. Now, hypocrisy is not new. God has dealt with it many times right through the Old and New Testament, whether it was when Adam pretended to be wide-eyed innocent, blaming Eve and God when he took a bite of the apple, or even notably in Amos 5, when the people were going through all the motions of feast days, loud music, burnt offerings, you name it, they were doing it. And they were expecting God to bless them as a reward for all this outward show. But in reality, the rest of their lives showed no regard for the God that they claimed to worship. It was merely an outward show without an inward reality. So here we are today in a very challenging and, quite frankly, very uncomfortable passage. I have to say that no sooner did I pick this passage that it seemed that God was waiting to point out so many inconsistencies in my own life. And that was before I even got to the actual passage itself. So it was some, with some trepidation that I looked at the passage and prepared for today. Jesus has always been very concerned about what is in our hearts and minds as well as our actions. So he tackles the three most important areas of the day, giving, praying and fasting. Now Tom has left us off rather lightly in that we only have to look at the first two, but the principles carry through to fasting. These three things, giving, praying and fasting, were integral parts of everyday Jewish life. They were the things that you did to show your devotion to God. Everyone gave their offerings, just as today we pay our taxes, hopefully without even thinking about it, and people sent up prayers. That was the deal with the God of the Bible. In fact, it was pretty much the same for people in all cultures. There was no atheism as we have it today. Everyone prayed and offered sacrifices to their particular God or gods in the hope that life would be good. Crops would succeed, food would be provided, people would be healthy, and so on. Offerings and sacrifices and prayers were given as a way to appease the relevant God. 
But for Jews, they had a knowledge of their own God because he had shown themselves to be real. He spoke to his people and he laid out through the prophets and the scriptures exactly what was expected of them so that their lives would be acceptable to God. However, as is our way, we like to reduce things to formula and tick lists. After all, who doesn't love a tick list? If I give my tithe, turn up at church, say some prayers and keep out of obvious trouble, God will be happy and I can concentrate on the more immediate and pressing concerns of my life. All the while, everyone around me will see me as an upright Jew or a great Christian as well. What's not to like? So let's get into this passage and look firstly at giving. In the age of online banking, it's very easy for us to give money to churches, charities, to others without anybody else knowing. In fact, we'd probably view it as quite crass and not very English to be shouting about how much money we give to others. But Jesus is not just talking about money. In verse 1, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. In the New Living Version, it says, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. Now, this is tough because earlier in the same sermon in chapter 5, we heard, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. Well, which is it? Does God want me to sneak around blessing people with meals or money or whatever? Or does he want me to let people know that I'm doing these good things? Actually, what Jesus wants is that we don't think about what other people will see or think at all. If we're so focused on what God is asking us to do and ensuring that he is happy, then we'll pay no mind to what other people think. Now, I've got two practical examples that I've witnessed here in church. And the first one is that there's a WhatsApp group that perhaps some of you are part of that, that is for prayer and other support. And in, within this group over the last, well over a year, the, there's been a lady that everybody has been praying and supporting. She, she's not part of this church, but she's got really difficult life, life circumstances. And so I've prayed and followed, followed this. It's been amazing to see how people have been quietly helping this lady with practical support and prayer and money and so many things. And nobody has had the glory except for God. And this lady will then know that, yes, I'm sure she's very grateful for everything she goes, but everybody seems to have been pointing her to Jesus rather than to themselves. And that is what it's about. And the second one is perhaps slightly more personal. Quite a few years ago when I had um, a bike business, as many of you know, we were really struggling. And I came here one evening knowing that I had no money to pay wages, but I didn't say anything but I went for prayer the next thing I knew somebody very kindly put enough money through my door to bless my staff with wages the only person that knows who it was is God them and me and my the witness to my staff when I said great you've got wages this week somebody at church has given it anonymously they were bowled over to to believe that anybody would care so much and gave me an opportunity to talk about the gospel to them So I think this is what Jesus means about how we do good deeds. Our focus is on being obedient to Jesus and pointing to him as the reason for whatever we do. Now, as an aside, that doesn't mean that we're to stop recognising and encouraging others. 
In fact, 1 Thessalonians tells us to encourage one another and to build each other up. As encouragers, our job is not to judge what others do with the praise. Now, one of my home group very helpfully gave me a quote for this morning. When praised, presumably for preaching, John Wimber apparently said, I'll take the encouragement and pass on the glory. (laughs) A very useful maxim for us all. So how about prayer? Well, in verse 5, Jesus says, when you pray, not if, but when. It was common for people to pray out loud rather than how we now pray silently. Corporate prayer, praying in groups, was also common. People would stop on the side of the road if it was a certain time to to pray for whatever their particular prayer was. So we need to be clear that Jesus was not telling everybody to abandon any sort of formal community or corporate prayer and instead go inside and hide in a cupboard and pray by yourself. Rather, Jesus was concerned with who our prayers are actually aimed at. Rather like the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, when the Pharisee stood up by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Jesus said that in exalting himself, that would be all the praise he would get. Now, we can imagine that this may have been the sort of prayers that Jesus was referring to in the passage we have today. Perhaps long-winded, self-aggrandizing, or even, as we're possibly familiar with, sermons in prayer form, aimed at ensuring that the average Jew was kept in his proper place, admiring the righteous, ceremonially clean, God-fearing prayer. He knew all the right words to talk to God. Now, this hypocrite was actually just showing off to any passerby. The self-satisfaction that they enjoyed was their full reward. Perhaps Isaiah put it very well in chapter 29. People honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, there was a custom of, of custom set prayers at set times, Indeed, these evolved into a huge number of set prayers to cover all possible eventualities. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. We use a variety of set prayers in our liturgy. The problem arose when the prayers were purely done by rote or by habit, with no thought for the recipient. And perhaps we have been guilty of just the same, that we've come to a service, said all the words and gone home and not remembered a single word that we've actually spoken. Indeed, as a child, I went to a convent for my primary education and I remember all too well having to say the rosary every day. And then once a year, we walked around the playground as a school with a statue of Mary and an awful lot of flowers and recited the same prayers over and over. Even as a child, I wondered if perhaps Mary was as bored as I was at the continuous repetition. (laughs) Given that God already knows that we're going to pray before the thoughts even entered our head, the repetition and clever words are certainly not for his benefit. So in both giving and prayers, it is our motives that Jesus wants to tackle. If you perform religious acts to impress other people, then the only reward you will get is the praise of those around you. 
and that's really short-sighted. I have a really good example of this. There was an experiment carried out a couple of years ago with some children who were aged about four to six. And they were sat at a table, and on one side was a pile of chocolate biscuits, and on the other, a pile of cash, which I think was about £1,000. And each child was asked, well, which would you like? You can take either. Without exception, the children went for the chocolate biscuits. <laughs> now, we know that that is ridiculous. As adults watching this, we'd say, well, why would you choose the biscuits when with all that money you could have as many biscuits as you could possibly want? But actually, this is our attitude. When we're more concerned about what other people think about when they, they see us, whatever we're doing, we are choosing the immediate sugar rush for approval rather than the eternal and far more valuable reward from God. At the heart of hypocrisy is selfishness, caring more about our image, our reputation, and what other people will think. Now, I don't want you to think that because you're sitting there and I'm standing up here, that this does not apply to you. Hypocrisy affects us in every single walk of life. Perhaps, as I said at the beginning, when God has very kindly taken me through every aspect of my life over the last two or three weeks. But perhaps you've experienced the other side of a person who claims to be what they're not. Someone who is a believer, yet they bear little resemblance to Christ. Perhaps somebody who tears down others behind their backs. This might be somebody you know. It might be you or me. What damage is done when we portray ourselves as self-righteous? But our children are listening. They hear our critique and condemnation of others daily. Or perhaps you felt Jesus or the Holy Spirit nudge you to talk about your faith, to share the gospel. And almost immediately, the next thought is, oh, they might be offended or upset. What will they think? Really, what we're thinking is, I don't want to take the risk and look stupid. It's about me. Now, we can sing some wonderful songs, as we have done already today, proclaiming our love and devotion to Jesus. But the minute we leave, we clam up. I'll admit, it's really difficult to be honest about our motives. After all, we like to believe the best about ourselves, and we're masters at painting ourselves in the good light when we think about ourselves. Jeremiah puts it very, very well. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. So if we want to step away from the lure of instant gratification, of seeking praise and the approval from others, what do we do? Well, perhaps the first thing is to acknowledge the devastation that hypocrisy can cause beyond ourselves. Not only does it compromise our own spiritual health, but it also undermines the faith of the next generation, those listening to us. And it sends out a very clear message that we don't really believe what we preach. All in all, it affects our children, our families, our churches and our communities. From those we love to those we don't know, hypocrisy causes devastating consequences I think Christ is calling us to be careful about what we claim because eventually the truth will come out what we are on the inside cannot be hidden forever 
If we claim Jesus, then our lives should remind others about him. But we can't do any of this without Jesus himself. He has set the bar far too high for any of us to reach on our own. Earlier in his sermon, Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's tough. So what are we to do? In practical terms, we need to throw ourselves on God's mercy by bringing our thoughts, our words and our deeds before Jesus and asking him to root out our true motives. And from there, we can acknowledge that we're really far more interested in ourselves than Jesus and we can seek his forgiveness, which he is quick to give. We rely on the promises of the Bible. Even Psalm 85 tells us, the Lord, he is good and forgiving. He is abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon him. So our hypocrisy is not outside his love. And by ridding ourselves of any hypocrisy in our lives, we're then able to really enjoy the freedom that Jesus has promised. We heard it in the first song that we we're going to sing. The, the Redeemer Rescuer song. Jesus has promised freedom to all who follow him. And then we too can be truly effective disciple-making disciples that we're called to be. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are very, very clear to us about not only our actions, but the consequences of our thoughts and our hearts. So as we pause for a moment now, Lord, we ask that you would, over these next few days, talk to us where we are hypocritical. Show us so that we can root it out and be free from this snare that, that drags us down. Lord, help us to focus purely on you so that we can sing the songs that we sing in church and truly mean that we want to share the good news of you with everybody else, not worrying what others think. Lord, we look forward to the reward that we, you will give us when we are obedient. We trust when you say that you will call us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. And uh, although Sarah prayer, I, uh, I think we, we shouldn't really leave the building without a moment to be able to digest that and come before God and ask ourselves, what one thing is God saying to you today through that sermon? So let us uh, not pray out loud. Let's just have a prayer between just you and God to understand what it is that he might be saying to you today and not have that opportunity of going out that door and forgetting what, uh, what, what God's challenging is to do. So let us pray for about a minute. <clears throat> 